This is the intersection. The intersection. This is the Intersection Podcast for Saturday the 18th of February 2017. Episode 6, Rumour Roundup. The Intersection Podcast is only made possible through the support of its listeners and sponsors. If you have a product or service that you feel may appeal to our audience, please contact sponsor at intersectioncast.com. Hello and welcome to The Intersection. My name is Jonathan Wildman. I'm your host. This is the podcast that bridges together the worlds of tech and pop culture. Um, We have quite a busy week uh, this past week in terms of the world of tech. Lots of news and lots of rumours, in particular concerning Apple. So without much further ado, let's get on with the show. Now, last week um, we gave you the news that um, legendary late artist Prince his music catalogue would finally be hitting uh, various streaming services. Um, now, a lot of Prince's stuff was uh, on Tidal when he was alive. He did an exclusive deal with them, but uh, had no, he had no presence on the likes of Google Play, Apple Music and Spotify. But uh, we brought the news last week that that was set to change. And indeed, shortly after we published um, last week, Prince's catalogue did hit the remainder of the streaming services out there. Now, this is particularly good for those who perhaps don't know too much about Prince. Um, no, you know, obviously know the big hits such as 1999, Purple Rain, but, you know, the type of audience who might not have heard the Purple Rain album from start to finish, let alone some of Prince's lesser known um, uh, tracks. So it's good that um, Prince will live on. Uh, his music certainly will live on to, uh, you know, a, a, a fresh audience and they will pass on their newfound fandom of Prince to uh, to, up, to other people. And, um, you know, a lot of people said Prince wouldn't have wanted it this way. Prince was extremely fussy about the way his music was distributed. So, but that doesn't matter. I'm sure, you know, um, it, it's only a positive thing from my point of view. However, Apple went all out. I mean, I'm an Apple Music subscriber and they went all out with uh, publicizing the fact that Prince's music was on their their catalogue. Um, you know, there's a number of Apple Music Prince playlists from uh, Prince ballads to inspired by Prince to Prince's funky hits to, you know, various hits of various decades, 70s, 80s, 90s, etc. So they're really, they're really pushing the fact that Prince's music is available. Um, I'm a massive Prince fan. I've mentioned it before. And what I immediately noticed when I was just sort of scanning through the Apple Music catalogue was that although Prince's catalogue is available, it's only a large chunk of his catalogue. There's quite a few um, albums I've noticed that are missing, and I'm not sure exactly why. Um, it might be something to do with um, the Warner Brothers deal. I, I'm not entirely sure, but I did notice immediately that albums such as the Gold Experience, such as the Love Symbol album, um, weren't there. And I figured, oh, maybe this is because in those albums Prince was recording under the, the symbol rather than the name Prince. And maybe there's some sort of um, legal issue or, or, or whatever, restriction streaming of those albums. But various Prince albums, uh, when, when he went, you know, reverted back to his name, such as 3121, um, 
uh, and musicology um, aren't there at all. So while everyone is sort of um, advertising the fact that Prince's entire catalogue is available, that's not entirely true. However, there is more than enough material out there for those less acquainted with Prince's music to uh, to get into and to listen to and to enjoy and to discover for the first time. Obviously, those who are big Prince fans will already have those most of those songs and most of those albums already in their collections. Now, for those of you at the turn of the new millennium or just before, may remember, or those of you who are rocking us, uh, phone mobile phones back then may very well remember the Nokia 3310. Now, the Nokia 3310 um, was an iconic. Uh, we call them now feature phone. Um, in the in the fact that it at the time was fairly stylish. It had interchangeable colors. You could customize it. You know, different colors from the front to the back, and it was near indestructible. You could drop that thing from any height, um, you know, it could fall from your bag and fall from a shelf, fall from wherever, and it would still work. And the battery life was phenomenal. Back in the day when phones would last you well over a week, unless I'm exaggerating that point, but um, yeah, those were the days. Now, of course, um, we've gone the way of carrying uh, small portable computers in our pockets. And as our smartphones become more and more sophisticated, demands on battery life become heavier and heavier. And therefore, we don't get a week's worth of usage anymore from a single charge. We also have to take quite a lot of care of our phones now because they are quite fragile, especially with their touch screens. But nonetheless, the 3310, we look back at that phone very fondly as for many of us, it was one of our first mobile phones. Um, but nonetheless, we remember it very fondly for being a reliable and again, indestructible handset. So... Mobile World Congress, which happens every year, is coming up towards the end of February, early March. And Nokia, the manufacturers of the 3310, are said to be launching a series of Android phones. Um, uh, the series of phones will be called Nokia 3, Nokia 5 and Nokia 6. Nokia 3 being the entry level model. And obviously, um, in terms of specs, these, these um, the series increments and um, things become more high tech in terms of RAM, in terms of storage, in terms of um, the capabilities of the camera, etc. But another uh, phone that Nokia are said to be planning to announce uh, for Mobile World Congress is a homage to the Nokia 3310. In actual fact, it will be a feature phone. It won't be a smartphone. Um, it will be a retro style phone. It will um, be a modern take, we've been told, of on the 3310. And it's going to be sold as a budget um, secondary handset. Um, they're quoting around 59 pounds or 59 euros um, for this hand, for the, for, with the recommended retail price for this handset. And they're really pushing it for those who are slightly um, fans of nostalgia. And for those who just want a reliable, you know, second handset, you know, if you're going to a festival, if you're going for a night out, you don't quite trust bringing your iPhone 7 Plus or, or similarly expensive phone with you, you have that. And that battery will last you just as long as it did before, a week, possibly more, as battery technology has certainly become a bit more sophisticated since those days. So um, this was actually, this story was initially broke um, by uh, VentureBeat.com, who managed to get hold of um, uh, some sort of um, um, press notes in advance, um, in, in 
suggesting that this phone will be announced. And so I'm just wondering who actually, you know, it, it, we, we look back fondly at this at this phone. Many of us had that this particular model phone and we'll probably crack a smile when we see the updated version um, announced in in probably a week's time in Mobile World Congress. But who realistically is going to purchase this phone? Um, is this just for fun? Is this just for kicks? Is this just to have a secondary handset? Or I mean, who is really going to purchase this phone? And will it come with Snake? You remember Snake from the old Nokia phone? That was icon just as iconic as the phones themselves. Um, so I'm actually quite fascinated to see how Nokia announced this and how what their target market is exactly. Um, I would expect this phone to be, um, well, I was about to say I expected it to be 4G, 3G, but um, if it truly is an update to the 3310, we're not going to have any internet access at all on this thing i mean we did have wap if you remember wap from way back in those days um where was was our sort of a uh internet access more akin to dial-up speed where we would have basic text-based web pages or not so much web pages but text-based information um available to us on one of these phones so i'm wondering whether it truly is going to be a retro handset with a black and white screen or green screen as the as the original did whether there'll be no internet access at all or and whether this is just essentially going to be a throwaway 2g or 3g in terms of um quality of call phone or whether they are actually going to put uh, the, the resist, the, they won't be able to resist putting some modern features in this phone. I mean, they keep this has been described as a modern take, so we may very well see a color screen. We might see a basic email client or web browser of sorts. Or, I don't know. Or they might stick strictly retro. Nonetheless, I'm actually you know this puts a, this news puts a smile on my face, and I'm looking forward to uh, hearing what and seeing what Nokia have to announce. So retro lovers, stay tuned. In gaming news, it seems that Sony has filed a patent for a Nintendo Switch. Well, not quite. Um, a member of the popular uh, gaming forum, Neo GAF, has managed to find a Sony patent, uh, which basically describes and depicts in its diagram a handheld device that more than resembles the Nintendo Switch in terms of having a large uh, portable screen, which proves to be, which serves as the um, the main base of the console, and flanking that screen on either side are two detachable controllers. Rather than, unlike the Nintendo Switch, these controllers more resemble um, the handles of a DualShock, the DualShock Four. But nonetheless, the entire concept is very Switch esque. Now, Sony haven't had much luck in the handheld space. In fact, most of the, all of the handhelds, the PSP and the Vita, were absolute disasters. However, the PlayStation brand continues to grow from strength to strength in the main home console space. So it's curious that Sony may be considering taking another stab at handheld gaming. Um, now, to be fair to Sony, I mean, I was about to say this isn't anything new from them. They have consistently... Um, don't want to use the phrase ripped off, but consistently uh, responded to many innovations that Nintendo have brought to the gaming industry. Uh, one has to just think about the Dual Shock itself was a response to uh, Nintendo's rumble back with the, the Nintendo 64. 
or for example the playstation move the entire concept of the playstation move and those very odd looking wand controllers motion controllers was a response to nintendo's wii so yep this isn't doesn't surprise me at all however to be absolutely fair to sony it does seem that this patent was filed back in 2015 so this doesn't really prove anything it doesn't prove that sony are indeed considering this concept however it wouldn't surprise me that uh, sony would be keeping an eye on nintendo switch and to see how warmly um, gamers embrace the concept of a hybrid device now um British luxury car maker Jaguar Land Rover have collaborated with Shell. They've collaborated with Shell on a new innovative payment system um, that is, well, it's quite a technological innovation, actually. It all takes place within Jaguar's in-car computer system, so basically the in-car touchscreen. And what will happen is that um, you, there will be a shell application which will tell you the nearest, you know, the location of the, of the closest shell petrol stations. And it will navigate the driver to one of those petrol stations. And once the driver is there and the driver needs to fill up their Jaguar vehicle, they simply indicate within the application which pump that they are parked alongside. They then do a quick uh, security uh, verification um, in, in the form of a security pin to, com to confirm that they are who they are. They are then able to fill up the vehicle and payment is not made at the kiosk at the petrol station. It's not made at the, in a sort of pay and pump system where you have to get out of the car and um, you know stick your card in the car slot or anything like that. It's actually all done from within the car itself via Apple Pay or PayPal Wallet. Now, this again is, is another step towards a totally um, cash-free or, or, or wallet-free future. The driver doesn't have to get out of the car at all to make payment and to go off. And then, so once payment is made, um, a receipt automatically gets emailed to the driver. Um, so this is quite uh, an interesting innovation. It's quite, well, it's a, it's a simple use of existing services and technology, though, um, to describe it um, in the the words used by Jaguar themselves is that the app uses the combination of geolocation technology and a cloud-based pre-payment check to function. So again, pre-existing services, Apple Pay, PayPal. Um, they do expect Android Pay uh, support to be rolled out later on in the year. Um, they are also interested in working with other companies to provide similar function to other services via the car's touchscreen. Um, they give examples such as parking, tolls, or even drive-through restaurants. Um, the main aim is to bring forth the, um, the arrival of cashless motoring to make life easier for their customers. Now, if you're lucky enough to own a Jaguar or Land Rover um, and your vehicle does have the in control application system then um, the shell app uh, will be compatible with your uh, your car system and you will be able to use this service so this service is already available in the uk yes we get it first um, and is yet to roll out um, within the united states and other markets so if you do have 
that at your disposal, give it a try. Now, last week saw a report from America's Wall Street Journal. And in this report, a source has spoken to the paper and revealed that both Amazon and Google are looking to turn their home assistant smart speakers into home phone replacements. So as we know, Amazon have the Echo and um, Google have the Google Home. Both of these uh, products are pretty much the same in terms of capability. Only the Echo is available, currently available in the UK, although Google are looking to release the Google Home device uh, imminently. And what will happen is that these devices are always connected, as we know. They're always connected. They're in your home. They're constantly on. The mic is pretty much constantly listening, so you can dictate a voice command and the, the, uh, the digital assistant will respond to you. So what they're looking to do is to add on voice calling features and voice and call receiving features onto these devices. And they are working on two things mainly. Firstly, to sort of um, uh, to to try and encourage people that um, or reassure people of any uh, privacy concerns that they might they may have in terms of using these products, which are always listening, and also to um, get rid of the general stigma of awkwardness of being able to talk to a, a device, an inanimate device, to be, able, to be able to talk into into a device or at a device without feeling awkward. Um, they're trying to deal with that because they really want to make these things an everyday part of our lives. And at the moment, it would seem that only real sort of tech enthusiasts have bought into these products. But the idea is that they actually replace the home phone. And they're discussing a number of ways of doing this in terms of somehow working with telecommunications companies to tie your home phone number into the device itself. So you don't have a landline phone. Your Amazon Echo will announce that a call is incoming or will ring, for example. Um, and I can see this taking off because we are sort of leaning towards having these devices in the home for a number of different reasons um, to control our smart homes, to play music, our streaming music collections, etc., etc. And we are, less and less of us, are keeping landline phones within our households. In actual fact, I don't have a landline phone at all. Um, I've never had a landline phone since I've moved into where I live now and the frustrating thing is i have to pay line rental for my broadband but that's a separate grumble um so they're, they're looking to do that and also looking into tying into existing services for example skype so we could have a you know people can skype me and then my my echo would ring my google home device would would ring and alert me and i can uh, take the call there and then i don't have to get up from wherever i am so um i'm looking at this with great interest um i could definitely see this as a way forward there is the argument that okay do we really need landline phones? Do we still need landline phones, even if that phone itself is in the guise of a, a home digital assistant? Uh, because people are quite satisfied with their mobile phones and in the variety of ways in which we can receive communications uh, for our mobile phones, be it video calling, example, FaceTime, Skype, or be it um, simple uh, text message or WhatsApp or, 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 or Facebook Messenger. So... It remains to be seen. But then again, you know, if this is going to be yet another feature of what is already a very useful device, um, then I'm I'm all for it. And if um, 
Google and Amazon pulled this off successfully and people really warmed to the idea of receiving all home phone calls through their home assistant, um, then I can see Apple wanting a piece of this pie. Um, we've already discussed rumors in past episodes about Apple possibly preparing a home assistant which will have uh, which will have Siri at the helm, um, but we haven't actually seen any indication at all of an incoming product. We haven't seen any leaks or any parts or anything like that, anything concrete at all. So I would expect apple to be watching this uh, with great interest i cannot see a company like apple um still wanting to sit on the sidelines while uh, the likes of google and in particular my um amazon i'm saying microsoft there amazon are making great strides in in this type of product so um and particularly as a as someone who's invested in the apple ecosystem i am hoping to see um the next move from them but have announced the uh, the date of the Worldwide Developers Conference for this year. That's WWDC 2017. Now, it's going to be held in San Jose, California, uh, between June the 5th and the 9th. So June the 5th to the 9th. Now, as always, developers who wish to um, attend the conference uh, will be able to apply for tickets later on in the spring. I believe registration opens on March the 27th. And this will operate as a lottery-based system, so there's no easy way of getting tickets to the event. You know, if 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 you if you um, if you get picked, then you receive the opportunity to purchase a ticket. And I believe the the, the amount that they're asking for is one thousand five hundred and ninety-nine dollars. Now, obviously, this is a developer conference. This is not really for consumers. However, WWDC is always worth looking out for in terms of its opening keynote. So normally you will find that uh, Tim Cook and the other executives from Apple will open um, the event with a keynote and they that keynote will give us an indication of the future of iOS, tvOS, watchOS and macOS. So we should see iOS 11. We should see the next version of uh, watchOS and, and, and what new features may be coming to the Apple Watch and likewise with macOS. So it's always worth looking at. Um, what we won't see is any announcements for any hardware. Apple tend not to announce new iOS devices at WWDC, although in the past they have announced new Mac models. Now, we are awaiting an update to the iMac. Um, the Mac Pro hasn't had an update in a long, long time, um, in several years, and the Mac Mini is due an update. And Tim Cook has constantly promised that lots is coming in terms of the world of Mac. So we may get some hardware announcements for Mac devices at WWDC. We may not. Um, what we um, probably won't uh, 
um, get is any um, indication of where things are going with iOS 11 and any forthcoming um, new generation iPhone device or iPad device. So Apple tend to tell us what new features iOS 11 will will bring to the table in broad terms in terms of all you know previously compatible devices, but it won't sort of reveal any sort of secrets or new technological features that are exclusive to new hardware until that hardware is ready to be announced and as you know as when we expect the next generation iphone to be announced in the autumn um now what we are expecting around the same sort of time frame is uh, new ipads we are expecting um uh, updates to the ipad pro and the introduction uh of a smaller sized ipad pro one that resembles the ipad mini in terms of form factor. Now, I suspect that Apple will have a separate um, event prior to WWDC. I expect them to have a separate event around March time, and those iPads may be announced then. Um, in terms of Apple Watch, I'm not sure. I mean, the Series 2 Apple Watch was only introduced last year. I'm not sure we're going to get a new model of Apple Watch uh, announced this year. So I'm fairly confident that um, any new features that WatchOS will bring and, and, and will be discussed at WWDC will be available to all models. However, there is the slight chance that Apple will abandon um, support for the Series 0 Apple Watch. That was the very first generation Apple Watch, uh, simply because of the, the, the lack of speed, of the slow speed of the processor. There is that risk, but that's just my opinion. Just take that with a pinch of salt. Um, so yeah, WWDC, uh, June the 5th to June the 9th, always worth checking out the keynote to see where iOS is going, to see where macOS is going and how the two operating systems will continue to work together and just generally the Apple ecosystem. Um, you know, one of the benefits of being sort of tied up within the Apple ecosystem is how all of these separate products work beautifully together and complement one another. And WWDC and what comes from WWDC always tends to be a great example of just that. Now, as I say, um, the, the opening keynote to WWDC is normally available to stream. There's normally a live stream available through Apple's uh, website and through Apple's um, events application, which you can get for iOS or for tvOS. So that's always a good way to just just to watch it uh, and watch events unfold live. Um, interesting. Um, so Apple always design a, an invitation for these events. And on this particular one, they have put right bang in the middle in the center uh their their philosophy when it comes to um the development of technology and um i'll, I'll read it out because um it's something that i quite agree with too um technology alone is not enough technology must intersect with the liberal arts and the humanities to create new ideas and experiences that push society forward and then they say this summer we bring together thousands of brilliant minds representing many diverse perspectives, passions and talents to help us change the world. Now, is Hollywood warning us of the potential evils of Apple? Well, you probably agree if you uh, take the latest trailer uh, to a forthcoming movie, The Circle, 
a little bit too seriously. Now, The Circle is a movie that's uh, in cinemas in April, I believe, and it is based on a novel by Dave Eggers. Um, it stars, the movie at least, stars Emma Watson and uh, John Boyega, who played Finn in Star Wars Episode Seven. And the idea is that, um, well, The Circle itself seems to be a campus that... Uh, very closely resembles Apple's unique-looking spaceship campus. Um, <laughs> it um, um, basically it revolves around the CEO of the Circle, um, a very Apple-like company, who decide to use user data uh, that it has in its possession for a number of evil purposes. Um, so there's a lot of parallels to Apple, a lot of parallels to. Uh, Steve Jobs, Tim Cook, dare I say it, and a lot of parallels, you know, to the to the, I, the iPhone itself and the reliability of a device such as the iPhone. So it's a little bit of a hysterical piece from what I'm, I, I've read about it. Um, but yeah, it's a little bit too close to home in terms of similarities to um, the way Apple not necessarily operate, but um, to the way Apple's technology is embraced by the world, let's just say. Um, so, yep, this new movie, um, Tom Hanks is the star of the movie, actually, um, just reading here, and uh, I'll put a link to the trailer on the show notes if you are curious. Me, it doesn't look particularly interesting. Um, it's mildly amusing. I do wonder how Apple will take it. I do wonder if Apple will treat it with the same sort of um, fairness it treats other movies in terms of of uh, promoting it on its iTunes store when the time is right for it to be released digitally. Um, but um, yeah, I mean, it's clear. It's clear what, you know, what, 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 uh, what this um, fictional circle uh, organization is based on. Now, Apple, as we know, have been doing rather well with their services. Um, services such as Apple Music um, have has, has has grown from strength to strength in terms of numbers of subscribers. And basically, we know that for a while that Apple were looking into introducing a TV streaming service for the Apple TV platform, but have struggled to do so based on um, based on difficulties they've uh, faced negotiating with the various content providers out there, the various uh, US cable networks. Um, so Apple have actually quite interested in developing original content, and we've heard rumblings and rumors about this for a while. Um, that you know original content is essentially their plan B. Now, the likes of Netflix and Amazon Prime Video have done very well with original content. Um, I mean, the most recent one being the um, the uh, the Grand Tour on Amazon service, which is a, um, a Top Gear, um, I wouldn't say a Top Gear spin-off, but features the original trio from Top BBC's Top Gear. And also, the likes of Netflix have, um, you know, they had Making a Murderer, which was an, 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 was a big hit and incredibly popular. Uh, they have The Crown at the moment, and they um, they also had a House of Cards, um, Kevin Spacey, uh, the US remake of House of Cards. So original content is the way forward for these companies, and Apple have been looking to move into that arena. So... On Monday, um, Apple uh, Apple's Eddie Q was interviewed at Recode's Code Media event. Um, now, Eddie Q 
is, as you know, the Senior Vice President for Internet Software and Services. So he manages the iTunes Store and, and services such as Apple Pay and things like Siri, etc. So in terms of uh, media deals, in, in delivering uh, movies and music and other sorts of content, Eddie Q is your man. Now, Eddie Q used that opportunity to talk about a number of things, but he also used that opportunity to unveil the the trailers for two of Apple's original content series, one of which is Planet of the Apps. Now, this was announced towards the end of last year, but finally we got a look at what exactly this show is about. Now, Planet of the Apps um, appears to be a reality um, TV contest type show. Um, I'll give you a little idea of the premise. Um, the premise is uh, you have a number of aspiring developers, or, or rather they are developers, who are budding entrepreneurs. And they are they're entrepreneurs and they are to pitch their idea for an application for an iOS app, presumably, um, before a panel. And they are judged on a number of things such as how unique the idea is and, um, you know, such as um, the feasibility of developing that application. Now, this is all done in um, reality TV style, which is which, you know, a style that we're familiar with um, from shows such as, uh, let's say, um, The Voice, uh, The X Factor, etc. So it's quite a curious format. Now, going back to the panel, the panel consists of some well-known faces and others not so well-known. So on the panel, we have um, Gwyneth Paltrow, actress Gwyneth Paltrow, and she's credited as the founder of Goop, which I believe is a popular blog of hers. Um, Jessica Alba, again, another actress, um, but again, credited uh, for other ventures, uh, founder of The Honest Company. Will I Am, musician, uh, but credited for being the founder as I Am, his I Am range of products, which haven't done particularly well. He's gone into... Um, Sort of gone to the market of, of developing um, smart wearables. Um, I think the latest one was a bracelet or something, which is a smart watch. Um, and the final panel member is Gary Vaynerchuk, um, founder of VaynerMedia. And I'm not familiar who, who Gary Vaynerchuk is. Um, but nonetheless, uh, contestants will have 60 seconds to rapidly pitch their idea for an application and if they are selected they are uh, essentially um, given a mentor much like the voice actually a mentor who will follow the system and we follow their journey of developing their app and no doubt that these apps will be exclusive to the ios app store so it's an in well it, it's not an original con concept but in terms of um you know turn an app development into reality tv that that's an original approach i would imagine um and it's my problem with this is 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 there's two problems i have with this um i think it's for the wrong audience number one um the glitzy way from this from the trailer and out, uh, the glitzy way that this is produced um this this is great for budding musicians for budding pop stars but for app developers 
I'm not sure that it's really going to work with this sort of format. I, I, I'm also not sure about how technical things are going to get in terms of the challenges developers may face in, in, in bringing their ideas uh, for an app into, into reality. I'm talking about real technical challenges. Um, you know, how simple, how much of a lower common, de lowest common de denominator is this um, show going to serve? um and cater towards so you know we'll, we'll see and also my other problem so i'm not sure about the audience um I, I i think the type of people who like um the x factor or the voice may not necessarily be the same audience who are interested in coding and app development um now my second problem with the show is where it's going to be available now this is not going to be available on the itunes store this is going to be available and exclusive to apple music Again, I'm failing to see the connection. Um, it, well, one can assume that those invested in the Apple ecosystem may very well be subscribers to Apple Music, but those interested in app development may not necessarily be interested at all in music. So it's kind of interesting that the show is only accessible um, through that way, in that, in that manner. Um, so I, I'm not sure how well this show is going to do out of mild curiosity i might give it a watch um when when it becomes um available um i it's a first step for apple in terms of original content i'm not entirely convinced that this show by itself is enough to persuade someone to subscribe to apple music and pay the 9.99 a month um this seems like the type of show that someone might you know, sort of half watch if it just happens to be on TV rather than go out of the way to get their credit cards out, to enter their details and sign up to a subscription service for. But anyway, we, you know, we're, we're judging prematurely. We, we've yet to give this thing a, a chance. Um, what I will do is play you guys um, the trailer uh, for the show. Um, you Obviously, over the podcast, you won't be able to see the visuals, although you can do that online, but you will get a feel for the type of format that they have gone for. In every episode, app developers work to earn millions of dollars in venture capital investment. It begins with the pitch to four of the world's most culturally influential entrepreneurs. Will I am. Developers, they're the rock stars of right now. Jessica Alba. I have that gut and that intuition, and so far, it's been right. Gary Vaynerchuk. You've actually completely sold me on the tech advantage. And Gwyneth Paltrow. As consumers of news, we have a real trust issue. The developers have just 60 seconds on the escalator to get one of our advisors interested in their idea. Are you ready to pitch? Are you excited? I'm so excited. Everything we've done all comes down to this. And we're the eBay for the Snapchat generation. We're going to revolutionize social media. Please explain that. Some will be denied. I see the person that can design it, but who's going to build the business? Those selected by an advisor partner with the best in the business. Olivia knows through AI the best day and time to buy groceries. I need this. This is a branding game. I'm the branding person for you. Really? Yes, really. Last time I know, my brand is known all over the earth. I'm going to go with Will. Because I got gold shoes on. That's what's up. <laughs> work with their advisors. You guys got a lot of work to do. This isn't the pitch anymore. This is real life. And tech luminaries from companies like Yelp, Musical.ly, and Uber. Make pivots that kind of make sense to that user base you have right now. 
It all leads to a final pitch with one of the hottest venture capital firms on the planet, Lightspeed Venture Partners. Are you nervous? There's $10 million at stake. What's your burn rate right now? How you're planning to acquire customers. It's just not big enough. I truly believe in this. There's a big opportunity here. <gasps> oh my God, I'm crying. Successful apps earn featured placement on the App Store, making their apps available to millions of people. This is the biggest opportunity in my life. Planet of the Apps. Watch the journey unfold on Apple Music. Now, Planet of the Apps. Um, we're not sure when, what specific date uh, the series will begin or will be available on Apple Music. Uh, Apple just say it's coming soon. Uh, I would imagine it's fairly imminent um, because it, it, it looks to be finished. Um now, Apple, uh, if you're interested in um, submitting your your or an application for this show to perhaps pitch your app idea, if you're a button developer, um, Apple uh, put out a casting call for this particular series in uh, around June, July last last year. And so at the moment, it seems like um, the show, at least the first season or series of the show, has already been completed. However, there is a website, uh, planetoftheapps.com. Now on there, I would imagine that Apple will announce the process of those wishing to apply to have a chance to enter this contest. Um it probably will uh, be based on how popular the first series is received, uh, but I would certainly keep an eye. I mean, we'll see. We'll see how, how well Apple do in terms of uh, how many of their subscribers uh, bother to follow this show. But I will certainly keep an eye on that website and advise you to keep an eye on that website for details of the application process and for the actual you know, um, airing date of the show itself. Now, the second show that Apple have already announced but did unveil a trailer for is Carpool Karaoke. Now, again, this will be available on Apple Music, and this one's a little bit more relevant to music. Um, you probably know the concept already. Uh, the concept was introduced by our very own James Corden on his Late Late Show in the United States. And basically, the concept is James Corden is the driver of a car. He arrives at a location and he's joined by a surprise celebrity normally a singer and the the idea is they they they, they laugh and they joke and they converse and they they and james Corden asks very sort of casual informal questions and they sing along to that singer's particular hits so apple have uh, essentially bought this concept and are working with james Corden to bring it to apple music as a series i'm, I'm not sure how many episodes they have produced but my concern is that um well there's an, in this trailer we see the likes of Shaquille O'Neal uh John Legend um and my concern is that they are taking a concept that um has proven to be very popular due to its simplicity now carpool karaoke works as a nice little short sort of skit on James Corden's chat show but to, to make a standalone show based on this concept might be a little bit of overkill in my opinion um, I believe that it will cause us to get tired of the concept very quickly um, part of also what makes carpool karaoke great is the charm and the wit of James Corden and it does appear that while he'll be involved in the first episode 
on Apple Music. In subsequent episodes, he won't be carrying the show. Um, it may very well be the celebrities themselves who carry the show. And from what we see in the trailer, they get into all sorts of um, different situations. It's not just about singing along in the car journey. And so um, this is an inch. I mean, yeah. This, this is a better sort of uh, a better example of original content, I believe, than Planet of the Apps uh, for Apple. Uh, but I just don't think that this is a concept that's going to last very long. It's, it's a little bit risky on James Corden's part, although I'm sure he sold the rights, the concept to Apple for a heck of a lot of money. Um, people get tend to get tired of things when they're done to death. And I just think that Apple are going to do this concept to death. Um, I mean, so again, like um, again, like Planet of the Apps, we're not sure exactly when uh, this show will air, when it will begin, when it will be available. Like Planet of the Apps, uh, Apple announced that the show was coming around last summer. Um, the deal was struck then with CBS. Um, who I would imagine own the concept uh, through their Late Late Show. And so I would imagine that this um, series is again complete and is imminent. So I will yet again play you the trailer just for you to get a feel of what it's about. If you want to see visuals, do search for it online. I'll put a link to it in the show notes. Um, and we'll see here, I mean, the examples here, we've got um, Will Smith, for example. Will Smith with James Corden in 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 certainly in the trailer singing along to r kelly's i believe i can fly so it's strange it's removing it from i mean it, the celebrity's own material and then mixing things up a bit you know like shaquille o'neal who did have a, a music career as a rapper um i'm not sure what they're going to do there as well they're singing along to other celebrity songs uh, to other singer songs i don't know I mean, specifically in the trailer, we see Shaquille O'Neal with WWE wrestler John Cena, who, funnily enough, also had a, a rap career. Um, it seems a little bit muddled, seems a little bit confused. You can only really stretch this concept so far. Again, the beauty was in its simplicity. So by making it a standalone show, I'm not sure how well that's going to be, how well that's going to be received after a while of it being you know um, available on apple music um i'm i'm fairly positive that the first few episodes will be popular so as such it's not really worth me um playing a clip from the trailer i'll just simply put a link to it in the show notes because there's a lot of singing uh you won't be able to tell i'm who's singing what and, and it's not like i said it's not always the case that the uh the artist who created the uh the song that's been sung is the one doing the singing with this uh version of carpool karaoke so i'll put a link in there have a look yourself and let me know i, I would is this something that you again would be prepared to watch uh on what i presume will be a weekly basis um and is this something that you'd be prepared to specifically subscribe to apple music for Now let's talk a little bit about um, 
TV streaming, more specifically TV streaming boxes. Now, there are a number of different boxes on the market. We have uh, the, uh, the box by Sky, the Sky Now box. We have the Roku. We have the Apple TV. We have the Amazon Fire Stick, etc., etc. The problem is, is that there is no one box to rule them all. And that's mainly because of deals that the various manufacturers have, have done with uh, content providers and to do with various interests that the manufacturers may have themselves. And I'll give you some examples where this has been a bit of a conflict. For example, Amazon Prime Video, which is a fairly decent uh, video streaming service if you're an Amazon Prime member and you have also have access to lots of decent uh, rentals at, at a good price. Um, now, that service is just not available on the Apple TV. Why? Because um, Amazon sell their own Fire Stick. They sell their own device to receive that service. So they, they figure that Apple TV is probably their biggest threat. So therefore, they deny Apple TV the service. And that's strange because Amazon, you know, it's also contradictory because Amazon uh, quite happily allowed the likes of Roku to have access to this service. Um, but it's, you know, it's exactly the same. So, for example, Roku, and I have a Roku box and an Apple TV. I use my Apple TV for most of my streaming services. So for Netflix and Hulu and things like that. Um, and I'll tell you in a future episode how I got access to Hulu living in the UK. But um, um, I, I mainly use my Apple TV for, for most of uh, the day-to-day -day services. And those specific services like Netflix seem to be universal. You can get Netflix on absolutely anything. However... And this is a problem, particularly in the UK, catch-up TV. So, for example, BBC iPlayer, I can get that on absolutely any any, any box I, I have. And, you know, my Apple TV, my main box, fine, I'll get BBC iPlayer. If I want to catch up with a show that was broadcast on Channel 4, I have no access to their All 4 app, which used to be known as 4OD, 4 On Demand, because for some reason that app is just not available to Apple's TV OS. So what do I have to do? I have to plug in my Roku and use that because I can get uh, all four on the Roku. And that is literally the only reason why I'm hanging on to that Roku because in the, there might be the odd occasion where I may want to watch um, Amazon Prime Video, I may want to watch all four, and I may want to... I may want to watch um, the Channel 5 catch-up service. But so it, it's a bit of a mess. There is no one box to rule them all. Now, and on top of that, we have games consoles. We have services on the PlayStation and the Xbox. Again, you will find that some content is exclusive uh, for those platforms. So this is actually becoming an increasing problem. And... In particular, I, I mean, I have a very young daughter who, if she wants to watch something on demand, a kid's show, I will find that, oh, it's actually only available on the Roku. It's not available on Apple TV. And I'm constantly pulling wires or, or swatch, swapping things around. Now, we somewhat solved a little bit of this problem by getting a Harmony One remote. Um, that is an, uh, an infrared remote that you train up. It's by Logitech, and it, it's a fairly old but reliable device uh, where you train up specific activities. So, for example, you program an activity. I want to, um, you know, I want to watch the Apple TV. I hit the button. It sends a number of infrared uh, commands to the TV and to the Apple TV and to the my amp. 
my AV receiver. And what that does is it will switch the TV to the relevant input. It will switch on the Apple TV. It will switch off the other devices and rinse and repeat for all the other devices I've connected to the TV, including gaming consoles. Now, the problem with that is I have to be rather patient and stand in front of the TV and wait literally five, possibly to 10 seconds for everything to switch on and off correctly. If it messes up, I have to press the help button on the remote and it repeats the sequence. This is fine. I know how to use that. The kids have just about figured out to use that. Any guests I may have, my partner, for example, they don't have the patience for that. So it's still a real problem. So there seems to be a product that will solve this. Um, and this product was um, is by uh, a company called Carvo. And the box itself, the product itself, is a very sleek, very attractive looking, it's got the wooden finish and everything, um, box called the Carvo Streaming Box. Now, The Verge um, recently um, covered this in, art in an article this week, and, this pro and the uh, developers of this product um, had an interview um, with Walt Mossberg, on Recode's um, Code Media event, and I'll post the link to that in the show notes. But what they have done is built a device with an AI um, to control all of your other devices. So the, the example is that this, this device come, has, a, has, has a remote control that's much like the Apple TV 4 remote control, i.e. You, um, you, know, you can input um, via the user interface itself, or you can give voice commands. For example, I would want to watch uh, Game of Thrones, I want to watch uh, uh, Miami Vice, whatever, for example. Now, what this does is this will search all of your connected devices, your connected devices, and it will figure out which devices offer which service that can serve you that particular item you've looked for. So instead of trawling through one box, looking at, I don't know, Netflix and, and, and Hulu, oh, it's not on there, connecting another box and, and looking at Amazon Prime Video, oh, it is on there. You know, this does the hard work for you. Not only does it do the hard work for you, but it actually, it actually, will play it will it will direct you it won't just tell you where to find um whatever you're looking for it will actually change the inputs on the tv or rather switch to the device um and have that um that that programming or have or have that movie or whatever play for you immediately pretty much immediately now it's a little bit there's a little bit of voodoo behind this or not not really but um there was a little bit of a question mark as to how they are achieving this particularly with devices like the apple tv 4 which are still pretty much um locked down by apple there is no sort of api to get into the back end to control that that device so how they're doing it they're not doing it through like the harmony with um infrared um uh, macros send into each box nope they're not doing that they're not even using hdmi cec to switch between the devices because that again can be flaky in places and not every tv set supports that they are using another technology now this technology is not something that i've i heard of before but it's called machine vision now the idea is that it, they're actually um, the, the the cover box actually processes um, the video. 
that the um, the streaming boxes send over HDMI. So your various streaming boxes are connected to the Carbo and machine vision figures out what exactly is on screen by analyzing the video signal that's been sent through the actual data itself to figure out where in the user interface of your existing boxes you are without you actually manually flicking to that particular input and 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 running through it yourself so once it once it figures out where you are in terms of the ui of your or your, your relevant streaming box um it then determines what command to send based on the information and where you are what command to send to actually in, uh, begin the 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 the, the programming or, or the movie or whatever it is you're searching for to begin that um for you so it's extremely clever and apparently it's it's completely robust it works incredibly well now as i said before there are certain challenges that carver has has faced in terms of uh, dealing with streaming boxes that are a little bit more locked down than your average box more specifically the apple tv so there are some hacks that they've had to use to get it to work reliably on those sorts of systems for example um and, and the verge mentioned this on, on the apple tv um the only way you can control the apple tv is if you install the carver app the carver app is available on the app store and apple, T apple tv and tvos app store free of charge a simple app but the way it works is that um when you when it controls the apple tv it um it uses several commands um it goes to the main home screen and uses various commands to locate the carver app and when it does open that app it passes a url which um directly goes to the streaming app that you want to use and the apple tv very much uses that um allows you to use that technology already for example when you're you're searching the apple tv itself for for items across various services but obviously this is one step forward because the apple tv may not cater to your entire need so you need to be checking services across the board on all your devices so basically um this is extremely clever and I can't get I can't wait to get my hands on this. And this could solve so many problems, first world problems, admittedly, but so many problems in so many households uh, with I can't find this show. I can't find that show. Now, interestingly enough, uh, Carpo do mention that you can just use your original remote control. So, for example, if you've got a Roku box, you can use your Roku remote control just fine. Now, you can jump to another service in a variety of ways you can actually do that so if you're within the roku app you can jump to or the, the, the roku environment you can jump to another service by um, using the integration that uh, the carbon has with uh, amazon echo so there is actually a skill an amazon echo skill for alexa um which will allow you to command the carbo and say actually no i want to watch um i don't know um the x-files or star trek or something like that and then that will send a command the carver will, will figure out where exactly um which which streaming device has the service that has that media item and then it will just take over from there and it will switch from there so if you have all of these if you have a number of devices and you have an amazon echo that would be absolutely brilliant hopefully they'll also bring support to the google home uh, but we've yet to even see a release of the google home in the uk um but i cannot wait to get my hands on this now this um the carver i've only mentioned that they are they have a number of legal 
challenges to face in the United States, um, but they are confident they can get those resolved. Uh, for example, I believe there's an issue concerning privacy in terms of this device is watching um is is monitoring what what you're watching basically and monitoring you know um what what your various streaming boxes is are displaying um but they are confident that they will they will work around that and they'll have that resolved now the box isn't due to start shipping until the autumn of this year however it won't be cheap um they have said, Copper said that they expect to sell this box at $399 US dollars. And again, thanks to Brexit, we can consider that £400. Um, so it's quite an expensive investment. It all depends on how much you are inconvenienced by constantly jumping between your different various different streaming boxes and various different services and how easy you want to make the experience of watching tv at home for yourself and for members of your family uh, and for your guests of course so 400 bucks let's say 400 pounds it's a lot of money um but you know the box does look very sleek it looks very attractive it has a very sexy finish now it has a wooden finish there is a number of different uh wooden finishes you can choose from uh bamboo mahogany or tiger wood um now and it also comes with a steel base to keep in place um and so in terms of the number of inputs, the number of devices you can connect, it, it has eight HDMI inputs, so that should be more than enough. I, I, I can't even count eight different streaming devices just off the top of my head right now that are available. Um, and it uh, obviously an Ethernet port, uh, two USB ports and a power port. It also has a 3.5 millimeter jack for infrared extension cable. Um, so... It, it all looks very nice. It all looks very luxury, very premium. Uh, $400 pounds is a lot of money. Um, now, if you are interested, there's a little bit more bad news that they want to limit the, the first uh, run of this uh, to 5,000 units within the first year of its availability because they want to make sure they absolutely nail the product first before they, they significantly increase uh, production. So... If you want to get in early, I would keep an eye on their website, um, Carvo's website, and I'll put a link in the show notes. Um, and in terms of the possibility of this thing being launched in the UK, it's way uh, it's early days right now. It's way too premature. However, there's a little ray of hope in that if you go to Carvo's website, you will see that one of their investors is indeed Sky TV. And I won't imagine Sky TV would be willing to invest in a product without having an interest or, or in it launching or at least being available uh, within, the within the UK. So fingers crossed, it certainly won't be within the next year, I don't think. Um, but this certainly looks like a compelling product. And if you have the means, it will make your life a lot easier. Um, just one more thing about the remote control that comes with the product. I did say, for example, I did say that it resembled the Apple TV 4 remote, and it does indeed. It has a capacitive touch interface, and it has um, it accepts voice commands. So there is a mic. It's very much like the Apple TV remote. Um, but again, 
thing that doesn't quite justify the premium price because the Apple TV remote is comes with Apple TV, which is, I believe, £125 at the moment. So this is one definitely to keep an eye on. Um, I would imagine that if you wanted to get one early, if you want to somehow import one from the States, if you get hold of one of the first 5,000, there shouldn't really be any issues um, with it controlling your existing device, your UK-based devices. Because of all of the machine vision technology that's going on, it should be able to cope with that. That's only a theory. I don't know. I certainly haven't had my hands on one of these. Um, but um, I'm going to keep a close eye on it, actually. So um, I'll update you with more information as we get it. Now, I think we should introduce a new uh, segment on the show, perhaps um, one called Blame Brexit, because um, Brexit seems to be the gift that keeps on giving. And I mean that with all the sarcasm in the world, because yet again, we have nothing but bad news. And I don't want to get too political, but certainly in terms of being a tech enthusiast, uh, Brexit or more specifically, the slump in the pound, uh, continues to bite us in the backside. Now, basically, obviously, this is to do with the fact that various companies abroad who import goods into the UK, um, it's costing a lot more to do so. Um, and the fact that the value of sterling has slumped a little bit, or a lot, depending on what way you look at it, um, they're going to have to make up the difference somehow. And obviously that difference is going to be in the price of their products. So we have had uh, Apple announce various price hikes last year, um, particularly with their accessories. They all went up in price slightly. And um, now it's the turn of Microsoft who have announced that their Surface Book so and their Surface Pro 4, so their main flagship Surface products, have received a price hike. So unfortunately, um, the Microsoft Surface Book, which is uh, their laptop um, detachable tablet screen hybrid, is going to cost us 150 quid more. So it was, or certainly the 128 gigabyte model was £1,299. It's had an increase of 11.5% and is now £1,449. Likewise, the Surface Pro 4, the Surface Pro 4 is actually a very popular product of Microsoft's. Um, that's rising 7.3%. Um, and as if that wasn't expensive enough, uh, £2,159 to £2,199. And it gets worse. Sonos, again, wasn't cheap in the first place, invested in the Sonos ecosystem. Sonos have announced that they're just going to have to increase their prices for all products priced in um in pound sterling to quote their announcement um they said uh we pay for everything we make in us dollars um over recent months there's been a significant change on the us dollar to gbp exchange rate brexit as a result our existing pricing has become unsustainable and like many other companies we have to increase prices for all products priced in gbp 
Thank you, Brexit. Now, their main speakers, the Play 1, the Play 3 and the Play 5, are going to all increase by about 15%. So, they were originally £169, £259, £429 respectively, increased to £199, £299, £499. Um, now, unfortunately, uh, this is also gone across to um, some of their smaller items as well. So, for example, um, the um, the uh, Connect line, which allows uh, listeners to use Sonos technology to broadcast digital music through uh, an existing uh, speaker setup, um, that's getting a whopping 25% uh, price hike. Um, and, it, you know, it just goes on and on. So it seems like every week we get a different announcement and it's us Brits who are really suffering. So I won't again, I promise not to get too political about my views on Brexit, but I'm yet to see any advantages. But if you are at all like myself, a tech enthusiast and, and do like to 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 purchase and save up for these wonderful uh, shiny new gadgets and electronic products, then it's really going to hit you in the wallet. It's been a fairly busy week in terms of leaks from the rumour mill, uh, as far as Apple have been concerned uh, the past week. Um, first of all, rumours concerning the next generation Apple TV. Now, this comes from KGI securities analyst Ming-Chi Kuo, who is normally quite on the money and normally quite accurate with their predictions. Um, Ming-Chi Kuo claims that um, Apple are testing a 4K capable fifth generation Apple TV for possible release this year. Now, a, four, a 4K version of Apple TV, yeah, it's probably about time. Um, the Apple received a lot of criticism when they released the, the fourth generation Apple TV without 4K capability, even though some argue that the device itself is powerful enough to drive 4K video. Um, Apple's reasoning is most likely because there wasn't enough content available then and there wasn't wide enough adoption of 4K then. Have things changed? Um, yes, I guess so. Um, you know, certainly the likes of Sky and BT do broadcast a very limited amount of 4K material, mainly um, sports. Um, and basically, you know, if you buy a TV, if you're in the market of buying a new TV these days, you're going to get a 4K one. You're going to get an ultra high definition 4K one and, and not and uh, for a quite reasonable price. So, so 4K is definitely more accessible to a lot more people at the moment. Whether it's actually taking off, um, I'm not too sure. There's not enough 4K programming at the moment. Um, so my, my, my point is, my main point is, I just don't think that uh, an Apple TV upgrade that is 
essentially exactly the same as the third generation version but just supports 4k is going to be a compelling enough upgrade for most people um unless it just discreetly replaces the third generation model and i don't think apple will be ready to roll out a 4k version until there's enough 4k content uh, available in the itunes store um i am disappointed because i want to hear a little bit more uh, see a little bit more from the Apple TV and tvOS. For some reason, I don't think developers have really warmed to tvOS. I certainly don't notice a great variety of different types of applications available. I see very sort of uh, disposable throwaway apps. Um, you know, uh, for example, um, uh, for, I'll give you an example. TripAdvisor. TripAdvisor is a website that I'm sure most of us rely on. Um, their application on the Apple TV just seems to be a bunch of HD photographs of major cities around the world. Um, you just don't have that community, that TripAdvisor community, the forums. You don't have the uh, the FAQ, uh, the Q and As um, about particular places. You don't have. You certainly can't look up hotels easily. Um, there's a very limited number of hotels that you can sort of look up on the Apple tv app and so it's just little things like that tvos is seems to be a bit of a missed opportunity and i want and i want to see more i also want to see more unification and we spoke about this earlier of existing services i want to see more services catered towards uk audiences on the apple tv so until those problems are ironed out which are not specific to whether the hardware is 1080p or or, or 4k um I'm not really interested in an Apple TV upgrade just yet. But um, like I said, the Worldwide Developers Conference is coming up um, in June. And we should see what the future holds for tvOS there. So now on to iPhone news, uh, iPhone rumors uh, for concerning the next generation of iPhone. Um, we Again, we discussed a little bit of this in the last episode uh, that um, rumors are pointing to the, the device costing north of $1,000 or £1,000. Um, now, it's been rumored for a while and you've got to bear in mind that a lot of these uh, leaks or, or rumors that get spread are actually... Um, deliberately spread by Apple just to test the waters in terms of um, consumer reaction and just to get us sort of prepared for any sort of controversial decisions that may be made in terms of what the new phones offer or, or no longer offer. But we have a report again from KGI Securities Analyst Ming-Chi Kuo um, stating that the next generation iPhone um, will have will have a 5.8 inch screen now we were expecting them to have slightly larger screens and we were expecting there to be an edge-to-edge -edge display and the total removal of the home button so the home button would be activated from beneath the display and it seems i mean these rumors have been floating around for quite a while and it seems like even samsung have designed their galaxy s8 based on the, on the back of apple rumors uh because that has an edge to a design and, and that's and their buttons are underneath the display so but it seems like people have been barking up the wrong tree as to what apple may have in store because according to ming chi quo um the, the next generation iphone will have a 5.8 screen but only 5.15 inches will be an actual display area 
So the remaining space is going to be a function area with um, buttons or soft buttons, virtual buttons that change depending on what the phone is doing and what app you are in. Um, so, at, for example, if you are in a particular app, let's say mail or calendar, you will get useful buttons specific to that application, certain shortcuts, for example. Um, if uh, you're on the home screen, you will the dock, the main dock with your favorite applications will, will be located there. And when the phone um, needs, requires authentication, touch ID authentication, a virtual home button will appear there when you when when needed so for example to unlock the phone and to use apple pay etc now that um that remaining space sounds a lot like and, and from the description closely resembles the touch bar interface that we've seen on apple's new macbook pros and now suddenly things start to make sense um this is exactly how apple can um give us a full edge to edge uh, display can still keep the home button there at our disposal when we need to, when we need it, and certainly can um, bring some of that unique experience uh, from the touch bar on the MacBook Pro to the iPhone itself. So some of those um, useful function, uh, functional shortcuts uh, and contextual um, shortcuts and contextual icons will be there as we need it. Now, I would imagine that um, these buttons will use the They'll be use made of the Taptic engine, so we will get haptic feedback, and we've seen how useful, how effective that has been with the iPhone 7. It really does. When you press the, the non-existent home button, I mean, it really isn't a button, an actual button, um, it does feel like you're, you're pressing a button. So that's quite interesting, actually, um, and that excites me a little bit. I do like the look of the touch bar on the, um, the MacBook, um, the new MacBook Pros, and a lot of people criticize it and say it's a bit of a gimmick and it's a bit redundant, but I can imagine that if this is brought into the iPhone, Apple will make full use of it and will basically design um, or optimize, or did not so much optimize, but will design iOS 11 to 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 function around it. Um, it will be um, in, integral part of the iOS 11 uh, experience. Um, but we won't see anything of this until the um, the phone is um, officially announced, and I believe that will be in the autumn. Um, so continuing with the Apple rumors, um, Apple have also a, a, a number of rumors surrounding this next generation of iPhone is that we will see finally see Apple introduce wireless charging or their version of wireless charging. Now, a number of um, handsets, mainly Android handsets over the past few years, um, Samsung ones in particular, have already um offered wireless charging and by wireless charging i'm talking about inductive charging uh where the phone is the phone can be not so without the use of cable or wire the phone can lie on a um a pad or on a stand and um there will be inductive charging from there and the phone will trickle charge very slowly um, Samsung have recently improved that technology to allow faster charging through wireless charging. Um, it's not very uh, a very efficient way of charging a device, um, but it is handy. It is handy just to place your phone down and just to you know just forget about it. You don't have to plug anything in. You can access it when you need to. Just pick it up, 
rest it down again, but you know it will be charging along the way. And um, so this technology, this this wireless charging standard, um, which, which Samsung, I believe, have led the way on, is called Qi. It's spelled QI. Some people um, describe it as QI, but it's actually Qi. So um, the Qi Wireless Power Consortium, um, Apple interestingly enough this week apple have uh, become a member of that consortium uh, they're listed on the uh, as an official member on the website and this has started all manner of speculation because first of all there is surprise because apple if they are going to incorporate or try to um, have, have a little bit of influence in the further development of qi charging um, they're late to the party they're essentially joining a bandwagon that Samsung and the like have uh, have been on for years. And um, it's a little embarrassing if Apple announced this brand, a brand spanking new wireless charging solution um, that everyone else has offered for a while. Although there are some benefits because Qi is a standard. And as a standard, there's a number of um Qi accessories, different types of charging um, pads and pucks uh, that are quite affordable uh, that you can buy. And um, there, even Qi charger, chargers have been integrated into furniture. So IKEA um, have a range of furniture um, table, um, side tables, for example, um, um, lamp um, sort of tall floor standing lamps etc etc with with shelves or, or with spaces for you to just to put your phone down your and your qi compatible phone down and it will just charge so imagine having the bedside table instead of having to fuss around looking for um you know your lightning cable you just simply drop your phone on the table leave it overnight and you know it'll be fully charged by the morning so that is brilliant and um, that is convenient. Um, like I said, it, it's no real replacement for um, wire charging because um, you know charging inductive charging is very slow, and it's not really an efficient way of charging. However, um, many are disappointed with this announcement because not just because of the um, well, if you want to call it embarrassment that Apple are just joining you know, in this bandwagon late to the party. Um, but because of the fact that there had been many Apple patents leaked in the past that suggested a more radical wireless charging solution, a long-range charging solution that didn't rely on placing your phone onto a puck. I believe one of the patents um, described the stand, the actual stand panel on, on an iMac, um, acting as some sort of transmitter to act to give you true wireless charging. It will charge your various iOS devices that are in the vicinity. Um, I don't think the technology is quite there yet to deliver that in an affordable and in a safe manner. Um, so I can see um, Apple going down the route of Qi. Um, now, interestingly enough, though, Apple do Apple, the Apple Watch um, and the AirPods actually um, both use. Um, a similar type of inductive charging um the apple watch has that kind of a very small circular um wireless charger with the um the magnetic um interface so your the back of the apple watch just um magnetically holds to the uh, the charging puck the small puck and, and and it charges quite efficiently um that and then charges actually quite quickly the apple watch but then we are talking about a really small battery um so and that funnily enough um 
doesn't seem to be compatible with um, the existing Qi chargers. There was, um, when the Apple Watch was released, um, a video, which I believe was a fake, which showed someone putting an Apple Watch down on a standard Qi charger, and it just, and it worked, and it charged up. But, uh, you know, no one I know has been able to replicate that. Um, so what makes it strange is that are, are Apple really willing as members now of the uh, Qi Consortium, are they really willing to allow all manner of third-party chargers, um, Qi chargers, to work with their next-generation iPhone? Like I said, it is a standard. I don't think that's the case. I think if Apple introduce something, it will be a proprietary technology. Um, it will... Um, I, I can't see them um, allowing um, all these cheap wireless chargers to be compatible with their device. Um, and unfortunately, though, that will lose um, some of the convenience, for example, of, of the furniture, the, the charging furniture that is out there that the likes of IKEA produce. And that would be a real shame if Apple users will be unable to enjoy that. And there are already um, uh, reports, um, although I, they're fairly unsubstantiated reports, uh, that Apple have actually teamed up with Broadcom to build this wireless charging solution for the next generation iPhone. But it will be a customized wireless charging system, which basically suggests it won't be compatible at all with other Qi uh, chargers or Qi devices. Um, so... Again, that's a little bit um, contradictory. Why have Apple joined the Qi Consortium? Maybe to help steer the technology? I don't know, but Apple don't like to share. We know that. Um, but nonetheless, it does seem like some sort of wireless charging solution is coming to the next generation iPhone. Um, we've heard rumors already, and these are you know very likely to be true, that um, the next generation iPhone will have a glass back cover that suggests um, you know, it's a conductive material to wireless charging. Uh, there'll be no interference of signal, uh, unlike you know, the existing design, you know, the aluminium metal casing, which would be a problem. So it does look like wireless charging is on the way. Um, how that is, um, how that is uh, delivered, how that um, those features are, are brought to us um, remains to be seen. How it will operate remains to be seen. I, um, nonetheless, I think even though Apple are late to the party, they will bring a more reliable solution to us um, than existing uh, Qi charging. Um, in particular, um, I, I actually um, bought, purchased a little hack. Um, you could buy, you can buy a Qi um, charging um, coil panel. It's like a thin strip with, with a coil in it for the inductive charging and a very fiddly um, um, cable with a lightning connector and the idea is you connect it you push it into the lightning ports of your iPhone um, and it stays in there permanently I mean you can take it out but it's supposed to stay in there all the time and you have a case obviously you have any sort of case for your iPhone the um, the Qi charging pad um, is hidden and disguised within at the back of that case the case covers it up and so you can use any wireless Qi Qi um, charger 
puck or or stand or anything you want with your iphone and it will charge now um i i used this for a while actually i used this for several months on an iphone 6 and it did actually work the phone would get extremely hot though to the point was where it was actually quite worrying um but it did charge didn't charge very quickly didn't charge very quickly at all um until one day it just stopped working um after a few months it just actually just stopped working but i got the experience i yeah, i experienced the, the ones of chi charging and i even use it on on some on some pieces of ikea furniture so um you know it's um it's a nice solution if apple do it right and do it in a more reliable and user-friendly way and to be quite honest we just need to look towards the apple watch and it's done in a very very reliable way um so let's see what happens um i we're a long way off from the dream sort of true wireless charging where we don't have to worry about pucks or adapters or anything like that um but i believe that's probably the direction apple are looking towards in the long term which might suggest why exactly they have joined this consortium but i can't see in them sharing um whatever any uh, any any technology that they may have in store for us and therefore, while the um, the basics um, of um, the foundation of the wireless charging may very much resemble Qi charging, uh, Apple will probably most likely bring us some exclusive features, so some much like they have done with the W1 wireless chip uh, to enhance Bluetooth. They will probably enhance Qi charging by um, perhaps giving us some sort of fast charging solution, like really fast charging solution or um, some sort of extended charging solution just to differentiate itself from its competitors and give us that apple quality touch on their implementation of the technology now last week we addressed rumors of apple using some sort of iris scanner or even um, 3d facial scanning technology as um, not so much a replacement for touch id but uh, an enhancement uh, in terms for in terms of security and authentication to allow you access into the next generation iphone now apple it literally hot off the press apple is been announced that apple has purchased an israeli startup called realface now they're a cybersecurity and machine learning company and they specialize in facial recognition technology and 3d scanning now this kind of um verifies or, or, or rather gives is gives credence to these rumors that apple are not going to go beyond the simple iris scanning route uh and go for full 3d um facial scanning facial recognition um to uh, secure their future iphone now because of the timing of this acquisition i think it's a little bit too late for this technology to be used in the next generation iphone or the iphone 8 if you want to call it that um there's just simply not enough time to um to develop something and bring it to market and from what we've been told they've already started a production run of the next generation I iphone fairly early so what i think is we won't see um an iris scanner 
or a, um, a facial recognition system for the next iPhone. We won't see anything like that. We will uh, we will see Touch ID return, uh, but Touch ID will be presented to us in the form of that touch panel area underneath the main display screen. Um, so I think perhaps this this facial recognition technology is more for the generation after the next. Well, that's about all we have time for for this week's edition of The Intersection. Thank you so much for listening. And if you have yet to subscribe to us, please do. We're listed on all the major podcast networks and in particular, you can find us on iTunes. Um, if you wish to leave us any comments, we do appreciate your feedback. There's a variety of ways in which you can do so. You can go to our website, intersectioncast.com and leave your comments there. You can email us or leave us a Skype voicemail at feedback at intersectioncast.com. If you're on social media, you can be alerted to new episodes of The Intersection and just follow what we have to say and to drop us uh, any feedback or any questions that you may have uh, for our social media channels. You can reach us on Facebook at facebook.com slash intersectioncast or on Twitter with uh, the username at Let's Intersect. I'm Jonathan Wilden. It's my pleasure to bring you The Intersection this week. Uh, we'll have more for you in our next edition. And again, we apologize for the late publication of this episode. So until the next time, that's a wrap. The intersection. The intersection.